God, I have resting bitch face. Yes, you do. But hello, everyone. Oh, we're keeping that in. Okay. Hello, everyone. (laughs) So I wanted to tell you guys how Tyler has absolutely gotten me addicted to RuPaul's Drag Race. Y'all, it happened. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it did. What else did you think you got me addicted to? I don't know. I I was saying, oh, to guys, we need to talk about Tyler. Like, I'm not here. (laughs) Is that how I phrased it? A little bit. Oh, well, sorry. But no, you guys, we watched season six in a week. Um, Like, it was actually kind of like three days, basically. It's like three days. And so good. So good. I understand everything now. I'm obsessed. So now I'm going back and I'm watching season four. And I just love these ladies. Like, it was so much fun. Like, I know it's modeled off of America's Next Top Model. And I loved the shit out of that show when I was mm-hmm. younger. And this one is like 10 times better or 100 times better. I mean, it's America's Next Top Model, but also Project Runway, but also just gay. Yes. I am so excited to have gotten you into it because I have been telling y'all, I have been telling Brittany to watch Drag Race for probably like six months now because I, I will say I'm only like newly, newly into it. Yeah. I had a lot of internalized homophobia to get over to then be like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. I can enjoy whatever show I want to. Internalized homophobia that you had to get over? Well, I'm really confused. I always thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm not, like, a drag race gay. Like, that's real gay. But that's... Shut the fuck up, past Tyler. You are that gay. I know. <laughs> I I remember distinctly moments where you were doing drag and... <laughs> I mean, not performing oh, or anything. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I've tried to help you how to learn how to do your makeup a little bit more. Which, you know what I was thinking about? Speaking of makeup, I want a drag queen to do my makeup so bad. They're so much better than I am at it. Uh, same. Like, that, I want amazing. to get, like, fully made up just to be like, so what do I look like? That I is know. why, like, some of my favorite episodes in Drag Race are the makeover episodes. There are makeover episodes. When do I get to those? Yes, every season has one. Uh, the one in season six was that one episode Hulu doesn't have. Oh, so mm-hmm. I missed it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited. That's going to be my favorite episode. But basically, everyone, if you haven't watched RuPaul's Drag Race, you should definitely do it. And Tyler and I both recommend that you start with season six. It's freaking phenomenal. It's so good. Season six and season five. It, like, they're some of the best seasons of TV, just in general. So so good well i think we may have put off telling y'all for long enough we do we do have an announcement to let you guys know today and i think we're just gonna rip the band-aid yes so take a moment pause here grab yourselves a drink if you want we haven't opened hours yet which is looking uh looking at this moment maybe a bad decision should have popped that bottle early but listeners after this episode, we will only have two more episodes of Blood and Wine. Yes, episode 151 uh, will be our last one. And that episode will be coming out May 25th. Y'all, it's been, this has been an incredible journey the past three years. We've 
I mean, officially hit our unofficial three-year start. We have. I cannot believe it has been that long. And it has been such an incredible journey. This will forever be one of those like life-changing things that we've done together. We have gotten to know a lot of you guys, and it's brought Tyler and I even closer together, if that was even possible. And mm-hmm. it's it's been so much fun to just take this hour every week. And when I say hour, I know it's sometimes closer to two. But it's just, it's been so good to do this and focus on something and bring some some things that we find really important, um, be victim advocates in the way that we can have a platform to share our beliefs and things that are very important to us. And especially in this last year and a half, I think it's really, really helped having this podcast as an outlet. Absolutely. And I know neither of us expected the impact that this podcast would have on so many of y'all um i mean the the stories that y'all tell us about how this podcast has been there when y'all are going through rough times again especially this last year i mean that's incredible and this decision was definitely not made lightly we have had many conversations trying to decide how and when and it's one of those things that in life you just know when it's time and that that's where we're we're here um we love doing this podcast we love the relationships we've built with everyone this like like we're saying i feel like we're spiraling into repeats but at the end of the day it is time blood and wine has been a phenomenal journey and we could not be here without all of you guys without everyone's support and listening to us, and you have changed our lives. In so many ways. So, yes, I want to, we want to personally thank y'all so much. Yes, and we decided three years ago that we were going to make sure never to just ghost you guys and just end and just not ever say anything about it. So That, is that why would be we- fucked up. It would be, but it's why we're giving you guys a heads up and we've still got a month and a half with you guys, or I guess a month, a month of episodes and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us messages if you have any questions or want to talk to us more about it. Like we're here to chat and these episodes are still going to be up. So if you maybe aren't hearing this one live, we're glad you listened. We love you. And if you are listening to this live, we love you too. All the love. So in keeping with the themes of our podcast that have always been being victim advocates, we want to make this episode a survivor episode. Yes. And I have picked a case that I've had my eye on for quite a while. And one that actually happened after we started this podcast. So this is a more recent case. Oh, My case is one that I think many of y'all will have heard of. Uh, I hadn't. But, um, wow. Some just very incredible, incredible survivor cases. Well, before we get into our incredible cases, let's pop our bottles. Yes, uh, because I need some wine. I really wish we'd kind of started started the episode with a bottle of wine already open. Me too. I I would like to be a glass in right now. Okay, well, Brittany, what wine are you drinking today? Today, I'm going to be trying... That's a lie. 
I've had this one before. <laughs> wow, just already <laughs> lying. Okay, this is one of the most exciting wines I think I've found. Throughout the, the three years of this podcast, I feel like every time Tyler and I go to pick a wine for an episode, sometimes we're like, you know what, this episode's about, you know, a down-to-earth cab. But a lot of the times it's like... <laughs> what are you talking about? Will you just let me the get The episode's it out? about a down-to-earth cab? <laughs> no, will you just, will you just stop? Okay. I'm trying to talk about my exciting wine. <laughs> okay. No, I go for it. <laughs> um, no, a lot of the times we are looking for some really out there, different new wine. And at this point, we thought we'd damn near tried them all. But I promise you, I've never had anything like this before. And Tyler and I actually split a bottle of this recently because I loved it so much. I bought like three bottles of it and I made him try it. <laughs> Literally forced it, it down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> wow so while Brittany was being forced to watch drag race i was being force-fed wine what a terrible weekend i know so this is the lunaria ancestral pet knot sparkling pinot grigio so that may just sound like a mouthful of wine <laughs> but what makes this wine really cool is it is orangish pink and cloudy because it is an unfiltered wine, it and it is a natural sparkling. So, Pet Nat, that is actually short for the French Petillon Naturel, which means natural sparkling. So I had to look this oh, up. I was I like, thought it was natural petroleum. <laughs> the reason this is a special wine is it's actually gasoline. Um, no, so I had to look up what this was i'd never heard of it before but apparently developed in the 16th century this is the oldest way that you can make sparkling wine and it's the result of a single continuous fermentation so i know when we've talked about champagne how there's the fermentation that happens in the barrel whether it's you know or just like in the container and then there's continued fermentation that happens in the bottle this is just a single one time fermenting so does this like fully ferment in the bottles yes yes so the fermenting juice is bottled while it is still fermenting so it's like bottling a wine way earlier than you would think because it hasn't even fermented and so the yeast is still consuming the grape sugars in the juice and that's when you bottle it not after that process has happened that makes the fermentation continue inside the bottle, traps all the CO2 in the process that is given off by this yeast, and therefore it has bubbles. That's where the bubbles come from. The fermentation process happening in the bottle. So this is a bottle where, yeah, there's some floaties at the bottom. But I, and this is a little bit of a dangerous moment because I did kind of tip and slowly i did not shake it and i did this about 30 minutes before we started recording oh you're fine You'll i be hope fine. so because i also have had this wine with friends and we, we had the moment of opening the bottle and thank god we were by the sink because we wine started to come out and we freaked out and we were like god oh, don't waste the wine it was intense well Instead of being by a sink, now you're just in front of a couple computers. So I think it's, you know, basically same mentality. Totally safe to do. But anyway, I'm super excited to have this wine again. This Pinot Grigio 
It has red berry notes on the nose. And like I said, it's that orangey pink color. And then on the palette, it has bright strawberry notes that mingle with peach and pear and integrate seamlessly into like this toasty finish at the end. It's clean. It's bright. It's dry. And it's a really good pet nap for beginners. So if you've never had a wine like this, like me, um, this is a good one to try. It was $18 a bottle and I had to find it online. There are a few places you can find it for around $18 to $20 a bottle. But yeah, this is one of the ones I saw it in a restaurant, tried it, loved it, bought all the bottles. Nice. So I'm going to see if I can carefully open this and not make a mess. Um, and, oh God, it's coming out. I have to run to the sink. I didn't even (laughs) pop the bottle and I'm holding it on. So excuse me, listeners, I'll be back. Okay. Now that she's gone, which one of y'all called it? Because I'm sitting here. I'm like, she's, it's, it's going to spray. Oh, she's back. Oh, and she had her headphones on and could hear us all that, that entire time. Yeah. I was about to say, Tyler, did you forget that I have Bluetooth headphones on? (laughs) I heard everything. It did not make a mess. It just was, uh, it was very ready to open and that was scary and that's never happened before. And I could feel it coming out and it was a weird experience in my life. I feel it coming. (laughs) Okay. What I was trying to say um, Tyler, also, you didn't fucking call it. You said it was going to be fine. So, Oh, I was lying. <laughs> um, okay. What I was going to say, when I got this at a restaurant, they did serve it in a white wine glass, but um, it's sparkling and I have champagne flutes. So I thought, why the fuck not? So I'm using a champagne flute. It's not the woodwind instrument you might be thinking of. <laughs> Tyler, <laughs> I don't think anyone's thinking of an instrument. Oh my gosh, the strawberry. You definitely smell the yeast. That is for sure. And one of the things that Tyler commented on when we were trying this together, it kind of has a similar taste to like a fruity um, sour beer without the sour. Yeah, yeah. But it had that like yeasty hoppy, kind of like a beer mixed with a kombucha. Yes, it does. As soon as you said kombucha, it really reminds me of that a lot. Um, But I'm going to try it again because it's been, I don't know, I guess like four days since I've had this wine. Okay, well, hold on before you try it because I still have a bottle. No, no, no. When it comes time to try it, (laughs) I will try it. Okay, Tyler, while my wine sits here and loses all of its fizz while I wait on you to tell me about your wine, why don't you start that process and tell me tell me um what wine are you drinking i'm gonna go extra slow (laughs) i'm sorry you were throwing out so much sass i feel like i gotta give it back today (laughs) you're right you're right so i am drinking the 2019 lapis luna cabernet sauvignon and it's a really pretty like artistic bottle it has a um oh what's that thing i feel like this is a word i've tried to think of before but it's the, like, when an art piece is, like, a wood carving. It's not cuneiform. That's a type of language back in the old days. <laughs> it's um, it's not cartography. That's map making. But I feel like it's within that realm of starting with a C. Anyway, it looks, I don't know, like a woodblock painting. Yeah, it does. And um, 
we we literally had like a 10 minute conversation about this like probably a year and a half ago listeners we still haven't figured out the word if anyone knows it please your god message us <laughs> yeah because we really don't but yeah it's um you know all these people and they're standing on the top of a hedge maze that's light blue um the sky is orange what i can only assume is the sun is a dark blue everyone's hair is purple it's kind of trippy it might be the world coming to an end. It could be, but it's really cool. Oh, Jesus. Um, the back also has um, an art piece of a woman struggling to hold up a burning heart. And it says, the perfect time to start never arrives. Which could be like, oh, inspirational or dark. I am scared. Did you get this bottle from like the Illuminati or S- Illuminati or someone like that? Well, I mean, it, it was this old, old woman um, <laughs> who sold it to me in her shop. And when I turned around, the shop was gone. Um, but I didn't think anything of it because, you know, small, small businesses, they come and go. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> hopefully it's not some type of apothecary tonic. Oh, God. Maybe let's hope it is. That could be fun. Yeah. Drunk, you know, on, drunk no, on apothecary we... juice. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> apothecary juice. Gross. <laughs> so <laughs> this wine is described as crimson in the glass with aromas of dark chocolate, cherry, and a hint of roasted coffee. It is rich and full textured on the palate with profound dark fruit. And the finish brings succulent tannins and is long-reaching, sticking with you to the next sip. So it is a, like, a cab. It definitely sounds like a heavy cab. Yeah. Also, did not get this one from a 7-Eleven. I went to an actual liquor store (laughs) that could have been an apothecary shop. Who knows? Who knows? I realized I never told y'all where mine's from, but it's definitely from Italy. In case you were wondering. Oh. Yeah, mine's from Lodi, California. Ooh, I bet that's a good cab. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've had anything bad from Lodi. I don't think bad from Lodi exists. That sounds like a like a novella romance novel. Bad from Lodi. The story of Big Slick Thim. Thim. <laughs> that's his name. <laughs> okay, well, it's like uh, when you put uh, like <laughs> a T-H and your name's Tom. Thom. Thomas. <laughs> okay. Sorry. You know what? Now I'm actually thinking about T H O M. It really should be pronounced Thom. Yeah. Sorry to any of y'all whose name is Tom and and you spell it that way. I just always read it as Thom, even though I know it's Tom. Yeah. Ooh. I thought you were about to lick the cork. <laughs> Not <a> cork liquor. <laughs> Okay. Also, listeners, if you didn't see our Instagram story we posted like a week ago or whatever, <laughs> uh, my wine glasses have returned. Turns out they were not in a box. Um, they were in my old dishwasher. <laughs> so uh, when you move, just double check the dishwasher. Make sure you check the dishwasher. It was so funny because we found his wine glasses, this random missing pan that he couldn't find. Like, it was so funny. I mean, I thought I was losing my damn mind because I was like, where is half my silverware, (laughs) two of my plates, 
my frying pan, my wine glasses. Because at that point, everything was unpacked and I'm like, okay, that stuff wouldn't have been in one box. Well, and it was when you mentioned the silverware that I was like, I know exactly where this stuff is. It's in the dishwasher. Yeah. (laughs) And it was. It was. But this wine is some of the darkest wine I've ever seen. You're drinking black wine. Can you wow. see through it at all? No, I'm putting it next to my desk lamp, which is a bare-ass light bulb in there. Not just a bare-ass <laughs> light bulb on my desk. Um, but no, you can't even see the light bulb through it. Um, wow, this is going to stain my teeth. Uh, but yeah, it is a black wine. It's black velvet. That slow southern style. Okay. What do you smell? Um... I get the cherry they're talking about. Shit, y'all, this is an intense smelling wine. <sighs> smelling this wine makes me feel like I want to vomit. <laughs> um, yeah, y'all, it's uh it smelling it has given me a little bit of watermelon. <laughs> um So I don't know how to read into that, but uh I swear to god no, this one's gonna be delicious. It's gonna be really good. So are you ready to try it? I am so ready for this wine. All right. Cheers, Tyler. Cheers. Whoa. What? What's happening? Woo. When they said this is like a dense wine, uh, or I guess that rich and full textured, it also calls it dense on the bottle. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost like it's concentrated. It is very, very flavorful, very punchy in the mouth. I am getting some of those dark fruits, very, very strong tannins, but it's smooth. It's not like super acidic or like, um, I don't know if y'all will understand this analogy, but you know how some like tannic wines, it's kind of like licking wood. <laughs> or if you do look lick wood, you, you know, some wines are like that. Yeah, but this one definitely has the strong tannins that you, like, feel in your cheeks and your jowls. Are these my jowls? Do I have jowls? I think jowls are down here. Well, I can feel it there, too. <laughs> um, It's good. This is a wine that would hold up to, like, a very flavorful, like, prime rib with horseradish. Like, mm. this is what you want when you're eating, like... Buff Bourguignon or something. How much did you pay for that bottle? I don't know if you said. Oh, I didn't. I paid $12 for it at a liquor store. That's a good so, price. 10 elsewhere? Yeah, maybe 10 I also got myself a box, a Boda box, and it was 20 So, yeah, this one's probably like 10 bucks most places. Well, this Pinot Grigio is everything I remember and more. Very much getting the strawberry... There's also a very heavy grapefruit flavor, especially towards the end, and it's got a little bit of that bitter taste of the grapefruit. So kind of some rind in there, and it's like citrus fruit rind. Um, It's really That's good. That's pith. <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, the white stuff in a citrus fruit is a pith. Oh my is gosh. Is the pith. And I just love, like, the little bits of strawberry and raspberry that play around on the tongue. This one, (laughs) this one's really fun. And I, to be totally honest, I have no idea what food you would eat this with. I mean, wait, 
what food you would eat and, and drink this with. Whatever. So I actually, as someone who tried it too, I know exactly the kind of food you'd eat it with. What? Shrimp? It would be... <laughs> That's <Sorry>. very specific. <laughs> um, but no, it would be at some very hipster fusion restaurant that doesn't really make sense. Oh, the one that gives you like deconstructed food. Yeah, it'd be like, oh... We're a um, South African, Vietnamese, Russian fusion restaurant. Um, everything is served on like old rusted trays that are all different shapes and sizes and belong to different things. That's when you'd have that wine. Okay. I had it at a nice Italian restaurant, but um, I was eating ravioli, butternut squash ravioli. It It was fine with that. That was not an ideal pairing. No, I think it'd probably be great with like seafood. That's what I'm thinking oysters. too. Seafood, oysters, yeah, something that doesn't have too heavy of a flavor. Um, this one would also be, it, this is a perfect pool wine. It really is, because it's kind of in between a wine and a beer. It sparkles. It's this good in-between of, like, your, like, fun, sparkling rosés and your fruity beers, your sour beers. It's just, it's this very, very unique flavor that i think is perfect for summertime you definitely want it cold this one warms up and no it's no good it's kind of like <laughs> kind of tyler's face right now it's kind of like a warm beer and nobody wants to drink that shit i think it's interesting yours is very much like a summertime wine mine is a dead of winter wine yours is what you like, drink to like warm yourself up yeah this is what you i don't know when you just come back into the cabin after, like, I don't know, fighting off some bears and it's snowing outside and everything's in black and white except for this bottle and the fire in the fireplace, this is what you drink. Lapis Luna. That's the commercial. Uh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Please drink responsibly. And because we're going to drink responsibly by sitting at home and telling each other murder cases, <laughs> except not murder cases, survivor cases... Brittany, what is yours going to be today? Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm doing a case that I've been wanting to do for a while, and that is the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss. The sources I used, an article on People by Diana Pearl, the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss article on Wikipedia, an article on NBC News by Min Von Burke, and articles from Insider by Kelly McLaughlin and Ashley Coleman. Jamie Lynn Cross was born July 13, 2005, and she was the only child of James and Denise Kloss, and they lived in Barron, Wisconsin. It's pretty barren there. It's not a lot, not a lot. It's actually a pretty small town. I think it said, okay, for some reason the number in my head is like 3,000. Sorry, Barron, if that is incorrect. If not... <laughs> the name of your town is very descriptive. Um, <laughs> so on October 5th, 2018. So like I said, like this is after we were already doing this podcast. Wait. We probably brought this up in some of our first like beginning episodes because it was happening. Let me just get into yes. it. And you may have light bulbs more. I can, okay. I can tell they're lighting right now, but you just wait. On October 5th, 2018. A man named Jake Patterson, who was 21 years old, drove to the Kloss home to kidnap Jamie. I do, I do know this one. This one is so crazy. I remember this one. Yep. Which, 
I feel like it is not often that we do big cases that we like remember the um like watching it on um, the news and seeing all the information yeah the like media frenzy i guess is the phrase because i feel like in so many of our cases we talk about that being a big part of them but yeah this one i very much remember all of that yes so patterson arrives at the house fully planning on kidnapping jamie but there was activity in the home and that deterred him he was really afraid of leaving any type of witness, so he he went away. He made a second attempt two days later, but again, aborted the mission for the same reason. There was too much going on in the home. He was worried about witnesses, so he's like, damn it, okay, nope, not today. Then on October 15th, he made his third visit. This time, he brought with him a shotgun. Shortly before 12.53 a.m. Central Time, Patterson parked his car at the end of the driveway he was wearing a black coat and a ski mask and he approached the front door of the home carrying his shotgun jamie who's 13 at the time she was woken up by the family dog who i guess started barking and she saw patterson approaching the house in his vehicle she then went to her parents room and immediately woke them up her dad james who was 56 meets Patterson at the door and like shines a light through the glass pane and asks him to show his badge. Because, you know, he thinks if someone's coming up to his door in the middle of the night, it's got to be a cop or something. So he's like, show me your badge. Oh, that, yeah. Patterson yells, open the fucking door, fires once with his shotgun at the closed door and fatally shoots James. Why is he targeting Jamie and her family? We'll get into that a little bit later. So Patterson forces his way into the house and he starts checking every single room again because he doesn't want to leave any witnesses behind. Then he finds the bathroom door locked and he begins to shoot it down. Inside the bathroom is where Denise, who's 46, and Jamie were located. Denise was comforting Jamie, who was crying really loudly. And at 12.53 a.m., Denise made a call to 911. When she's on the phone, Denise didn't speak, but the operator can hear there's a disturbance going on, there's yelling, and then all of a sudden the call gets disconnected. The dispatcher tries to call the number back, and it reaches the voicemail of Denise Kloss. So they knew where to go, where to find her. Patterson, while this is happening, bound Jamie's wrists and ankles using duct tape, and then fatally shot her mom. He dragged Jamie outside, almost slipping on all of the blood, and placed her in the trunk of his car and drove away. The police arrived only four minutes after the 911 call, but Jamie was gone. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is fast. They got there so quickly, and it was too late. Yeah, they must have literally missed him by seconds. Yeah. I.e. passed him driving away from the house as they were driving towards it they did because patterson had actually pulled over just 20 seconds down the road from the house so he was just a parked car on the side of the road wow deputies sped by with their emergency lights on the sirens on and patterson waited a little bit and then just drove away neighbors did say that they heard two gunshots but dismissed them since hunting was common in their home, like around the area. 
mm-hmm. and and none of the neighbors called 911 which that really frustrates me and we've talked about this how if you hear something like just pick up the phone like it's not that hard just call 911 if you're wrong that's best case scenario yeah and also who's hunting at one in the morning yeah i feel like that's dangerous and also i feel like a a gunshot coming from the house next door is probably going to sound a lot louder than someone hunting in the woods but i mean maybe not if they're used to people hunting not far from the property lines especially a shotgun like that would be loud yeah this to me is also an example of how quickly some of these situations can go down. I mean, the police arrived four minutes after that 911 call. And, and and they still didn't make it in time. And in that four minutes, Patterson had time to tie Jamie up, kill her mother, and bring her outside, put her in the trunk, and drive away. And I don't know about you, but I feel like something like that would take longer. Not that I've tried to figure out the timing and something like that ever, but... It, it didn't. It, it it That part surprised me that all of that happened so quickly. Yeah. You know what also really surprises me? That there are no neighbors peeking out the windows. Because even if it is hunting season, you're used to hearing gunshots and stuff. I feel like after hearing one, you would still like, oh, let me peek out the blinds and watch. I always and then see this man dragging this little girl out of her house. I know. When I hear a strange sound, I always look out the window. Oh my god, I am sure, especially at night when I'm backlit and you can see into my apartment perfectly, my neighbors look over and I'm just eyes, little peeking out (laughs) between the blinds. So, Patterson, like I said, he drives away and he took Jamie to a house 70 miles away in rural Gordon, Wisconsin. It was a cabin, and when they got there, Patterson made Jamie change into a different pair of pajamas and then forced her under his mattress and sealed off all of the exits before going to sleep. So he put like boxes and whatnot all around the bed so she can't get out. Oh, so she's under the bed. When I'm thinking under the mattress, I'm like, so like inside the box spring or like she's laying on the box spring and just mattress on top sandwiching her? No, 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 no. She's under the bed. Okay. Which, this is one of those things that I am like, why? Why are all these kidnappers hiding people under their beds? Why does this keep happening? I'm not a psychology student or anything like that, but I feel like it it sounds like something that would be like, oh, well, psychologically, like, under your bed is where you store the things you want to hide from childhood. So, like, maybe that's... I guess. I don't know. Your little brain carries that over. I don't know. I have no idea. But I feel like the under the bed has been the source of so many of our cases. I mean, think of Colleen Stan, who was kidnapped yeah. and they kept in the box under the bed, which is even worse. Well, and then uh, Maddie, the little girl who was killed and her body was put under the bed yeah yeah and i i believe his name was james and he had accidentally killed her and he's like 11 or 12 or something and hit yeah under james the bed. or joshua or something like that yeah. i don't know i remember maddie's name i don't remember his yeah so early on in the case police said that the Kloss's front door had been kicked in on the night of the murders but Barron county sheriff fitzgerald clarified at a press conference that it had been shot in with a shotgun 
Jamie, who police ruled out as a suspect very quickly in the killings, was missing from the home and authorities felt like she was in danger. The months when Jamie was missing, authorities received thousands of tips. And in late October, authorities called for 2,000 volunteers to help in a ground search for Jamie, which followed an initial ground search of about 100 people. So again, they don't know if she's dead or alive. They're searching for clues. They're searching for her. They're, they're searching for anything in this case because they, they know relatively nothing other than Jamie's gone and her parents have been murdered. Yeah. And if, I don't know, if it's a scenario where she's being kept outside or escaped and is outside, it's starting to get winter in Wisconsin. Exactly. Authorities also released vague descriptions of two vehicles that they felt may have been in the area of Jamie's home on the night she disappeared. The cars of interest were believed to be a red or orange Dodge Charger and a black Ford Edge or an Acura MDX. But unfortunately, these vehicle descriptions and other leads didn't lead investigators toward any clues as to where Jamie was. So they are just completely in the dark they they're trying but everything is turning up nothing patterson believed that jamie was too afraid to try to escape he knew that jamie was just absolutely terrified of him and so he never put any special locks on the doors because he didn't think she was going to try to escape she did have a couple of escape attempts but she didn't She didn't get very far, like not even out of the house or anything, and he just kept putting her under the bed. Also, there were times when they would sleep in the same bed. He did assault her as well, and he rarely let Jamie out of the cabin, maybe only for brief walks on the lawn after he checked for bystanders. For the next 88 days, Jamie was forced to live under a bed in Patterson's cabin that it was barricaded with storage boxes and other weights, again, so she can't get out. So she is trapped under the bed. 88 days? Yes. And she was often forced under the bed for up to 12 hours at a time without food or bathroom breaks. Jesus. I did not remember it being that long. In December, Patterson even hosted a Christmas party at his house and had his family over. And he instructed Jamie to stay under the bed. He told her if she made a noise or tried to escape, he would kill her. Well, and he already killed her parents in front of her, so... So, I mean, yeah, why would she not believe exactly what he's saying? Yeah. So the party happened. Patterson's family had no idea. They did not have any inkling to believe that Patterson would do anything like this. There was no indication that the family knew Jamie was there. And for three months, nobody knew if Jamie was dead or alive. On the afternoon of January 10th, 2019, Patterson told Jamie he was leaving for a couple of hours. He put her under the bed, boxing her inside with all his belongings, you know, his usual routine. But this time after he left, Jamie pushed out all of the objects from around the bed. Patterson sometimes in the past had done things like having on music, so she never knew if he was there or not. But in this instant, she felt confident that number one, he actually had left. And number two, she's going to take this opportunity anyway. 
Yeah. She ran from the house wearing a light shirt, leggings, and a pair of Patterson sneakers. She was so quick in in getting out of the home, she actually had them on the wrong feet. Jamie banged on a neighbor's door and said, this is Jamie Kloss, call 911. Jamie then came across a local woman, Jeannie Nutter, who was walking her dog. Jeannie recognized Jamie from the news and immediately took her to a neighbor's house to call 911. Oh my god. On the the phone, the neighbor told the dispatcher, Hi, I have a young lady at my house right now, and she says her name is Jamie Kloss. Jamie was very skinny, dirty, wearing these shoes that were too big for her feet. The neighbor, Kristen Kasinkas, brought Jamie into her home, where Jamie told her and her husband, Peter, that she didn't know where she was or anything about this town that she was in. Kristen said that Jamie told her she did not know why she was targeted, only that Patterson killed her parents and took her. Jamie said this person would usually hide her or hide her when others are near or when he would have to leave the house. She did not go into detail about how she got out of the house, anything like that. She was just very much, I'm sure, in shock at this moment. Kristen was a middle school science teacher And she said she actually remembered Patterson being a very quiet student, but didn't know him very well as a neighbor. But this is someone that she knew. I never think about that kind of small town stuff that's like, your new neighbor was your student 20 years ago. Or I guess middle school teacher, so 10 years ago. I know. The police were called. Jamie told them Jake Patterson killed her parents, took her and kept her prisoner just a few houses away from where they were in the neighborhood. During all of this, though, the neighbors described Jamie as calm, quiet, dazed, and she was surprised that they recognized her from the news. I mean, she's clearly in shock, but I also think that the idea of, like, people were looking for me after being held captive for three months, not only, like, oh, people were looking for me, but, like, the country was looking for me. I think grappling with that, especially that being something that she's learning all of that at once, of, like, girl, you're famous. Everyone knows who you are. We've been looking for you. Yeah. The police arrived around 4.45 p.m. and decided to remove Jamie from the area for her safety. The description that Jamie provided for Patterson, though and his vehicle enabled deputies to spot his car just 11 minutes after they arrived when Patterson drove by the house. After a deputy stopped him, Patterson exited the vehicle and said, I did it. A hospital admitted Jamie with a guard, and the next morning they released her to the custody of her aunt, Jennifer Smith. Because remember, Jamie, it, her her life is completely changed. Like, she's been rescued, she escaped, but she's still grappling with the loss of her parents. Yeah. So, she doesn't, she doesn't go back home. She goes and she lives with her aunt. Hormel, the parent company of Jeannie O, which is the store where Jamie's parents worked, they announced on January 24th that they would grant a $25,000 reward to Jamie for rescuing herself. So I guess there was reward money out for her rescue, and since she escaped, they awarded it to her. That's really cool that her parents' company set up an award to help find her. It's 
amazing. It's amazing. And also it's Hormel, which is like a huge company. I mean, that's not like the the local store having a like a fundraising type thing. Exactly. No, it's it's the parent company that did this. Police don't believe that Patterson had any type of maybe social media contact with Jamie or her family or relatives. And everyone who knew Jamie in her family, they didn't know Patterson's name. Like there there was no association. Yeah. Well, Annie lives 70 miles away. Yeah. Patterson told authorities that he saw Jamie getting off of a bus one day outside of her home in September when he was driving home from work and that he knew that she was the girl he wanted to take. That was it. What? I have so many questions. One, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, but that's just a good blanket statement. Um, Why was he 70 miles away from his home coming home from work? I mean, I think he worked in you know, in one area and lived in another. I mean, he was a commuter. Oh, I guess, yeah, that's just a... It's a it's a long distance, and it seems odd. I agree. Yeah, especially to, you know, part of your commute home is through a neighborhood. I just, I don't know, I, I'm suspect. I feel like he's not sharing how much he stalked. Well, I don't know if he necessarily stalked her, but I know he had been deciding he wanted to kidnap someone for a while this this is that part was thought out and like premeditated but i think it was one of those victims of opportunity he saw jamie decided yep that's that's the girl i want to kidnap and then he did have those two like attempts that he didn't do but then he came back for the third time so like once he saw her he was dead set on kidnapping jamie yeah Oh, my God. I wonder if he was, like, following the school bus to see what the kids lo- who got off looked like. Maybe. I mean, I would not put that oh. past him. Patterson confessed to police that he had kidnapped Jamie and killed her parents. He had no previous criminal history in Wisconsin. And regarding the time that Jamie spent in captivity, Patterson said... We were just, like, watching TV, playing board games, talking about stuff. We cooked a lot. Everything we made was homemade, you know? So for him, this was normal? I I don't know. Like, he just doesn't He's like, oh, yeah, Jamie was just, like, my roommate for a couple months. Not this 13-year-old girl whose parents I murdered and then I, I then kidnapped. Yeah, he doesn't seem phased at all by what he's done. And he admitted so quickly, like, oh, yeah, it was me. Which clearly shows he knows what he did was wrong. Yes, but he doesn't seem to give two shits about the fact that he did it. What? The f- He's a fucking monster. He is. I mean, that goes without saying, but I'll still say it. He was charged with two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, one count of kidnapping, and one count of armed burglary on January 14th, 2019 with his bail set at $5 million cash. On March 27th, he pleaded guilty to two counts of intentional first-degree homicide and one count of kidnapping, and the armed burglary charge was dropped. In a statement read by Jamie's attorney, Chris Gramstrup, Jamie said that Patterson took away her home and her parents, which she called the most important things in my life. And so I'm going to read part of her statement. 
He took them away from me in a way that will always leave me with a horrifying memory. I have to have an alarm in the house now just so I can sleep. I used to love to go out with my friends. I love to go to school. I love to dance. He took all of those things away from me too. It's too hard for me to go out in public. I get scared and I get anxious. These are just ordinary things that anyone like me should be able to do, but I can't because he took them away from me. I watched his routine and I took back my freedom. I will always have my freedom and he will not. Jake Patterson can never take away my courage. He thought he could control me, but he couldn't. Which, wow. wow. That is... That is powerful. It's so powerful. And she's, I mean, like 13 at this, at this, or yeah, she's still 13. She hadn't turned 14 yet at the time. Yeah, she's an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. And that's so powerful. On May 24th, 2019, Patterson was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole, plus an additional 40 years. Patterson told police, and this is what I mentioned earlier, he told police that he'd been thinking of kidnapping a girl for two years and that if it wasn't Jamie, it would probably be someone else. What the actual fuck? Jamie now is 15 years old and lives with an aunt and uncle. As of January 2021, so just a few months ago, her aunt said, Jamie's doing good. She's enjoying dance, school activities, and many other things as much as is possible in regards to now dealing with the COVID restrictions. She is surrounded by lots of loved ones. Wow. And that is the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss and the murder of James and Denise Kloss. Wow. I remember the the case and her missing and how big that was. And then when she escaped and she was found. But wow, I did not know all of the details at all. I didn't either. And it's also, I will say, a fast case in the sense that it went full circle in a year. Less, less than. I mean, yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was two years ago, and we're already able to, you know, dive into the case from what happened all the way to a, you know, a conclusion. Yeah, I'm glad for Jamie's sake that there wasn't this long drawn out legal battle that Patterson at least had this small inkling of decency to admit that he did it and not try to fight it. He's still a piece of shit garbage human monster. Such a monster. God. But at least he didn't want to put her through even more than he already had. God, Jamie, she so powerful. She I just So incredibly powerful. She's she was thirteen years old. Like I remember being thirteen. I don't think I could ever have been this strong. Like I just no. This type of torture breaks down full grown adults. And Jamie was thirteen years old and she was a fighter and is a fighter and kept fighting and tried to escape. It didn't work. Tried to escape. It didn't work. And then it did. Three months into being kidnapped and she is still trying to escape and hasn't given up at all. Like that is is just so incredible. It is. She is. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the woman that she grows into because mm-hmm. she's going to be unstoppable. I just know it. So, Tyler, 
Tell me about your case. Who's your survivor? The case I'm doing is the kidnapping of Alicia Kozakevich. The sources I used, a BBC News article by Alicia Kozakevich. Oh. And yeah, she she wrote an article for BBC News about her experience. So pretty much my entire case is from her words. Uh, I also used uh, her Wikipedia page. So it's New Year's Day, 2002. Alicia is 13 years old, and for the most part, it's been a pretty good holiday. It's time with the family. It's normal. Another 13-year-old? Yeah. Why do we do this? How does this happen? Why do we always pick cases that are somehow intertwined? I have no idea, but our cases are similar in many ways. The thing is, though, this type of case is unfortunately similar to a lot of kidnapping cases yeah i hate how much and that's why i was saying about the whole like under the bed thing i'm like this is not the first time i've heard this and it just gets me every time i'm just like what why oh my god that's horrible and all a lot of other emotions too but yeah so on this new year's day at dinner time the family sits down for dinner like any other day it's alicia her mom her dad her grandmother her brother, her brother's girlfriend, sit down for dinner. And after dinner, Alicia asked her mom if she'd go lie down. She told her mom she had a stomach ache. But that wasn't really why she wanted to leave the table. Alicia got up from the table. She slipped past the Christmas tree by the front door. And when no one was looking, she opened the front door and went outside because she was going to meet up with a friend. A friend she'd met online and really wanted to meet him. This was not typical Alicia. This was not her character at all. She very much described herself as she was still a child. She was really scared of the dark. She hated the cold. And she never went outside alone after dark without an adult. She walks up the street about a block or so from her house and... The streets are covered in ice. This is, um, it's in a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it's, again, New Year's Day. It's middle of winter at night. Yeah, as I say, it is the middle of winter. I'm sure it's freezing. And there's nobody else outside. So she, you know, walks up that block. And she said she remembers standing on the corner. And this little voice in her finally spoke up. She said it was her intuition. And it said, Alicia, what are you doing? This is really dangerous and you need to get home. And so she's like, God, I'm being such an idiot. Yes. She turns around and starts walking back. But then she heard her name being called. Oh, shit. And the next thing she knew, she was in a car with this man and she was fearing for her life. This man was not the teenager that she had been talking to online It was actually a 38-year-old man named Scott Tyree from Herndon, Virginia. So you have to remember, this is 2002. I mean, 2001, 2002. There's not a lot of education out there educating kids about how the internet can be dangerous. Right. Well, and the dangers of the internet are coming into fruition at this very time. Yeah. And Alicia, she's just a, she's a teenager online. The family got a new computer. Her older brother 
was obsessed with like the internet and playing like video games online and stuff and she also would get online she got a screen name and she would chat with her friends they talk about all sorts of things and she described it as it seeming like a time before kids realized that cyberbullying was even a possibility right and that everyone got a log online that super popular kids would talk to the less popular kids and it was really one of those places where everyone could actually be safe and that's what she felt she felt safe there was this one guy a boy who said he was around her age and she didn't know him but he was super into like all the things she was he listened to what she would say day and night he gave her advice and he was someone she felt she could complain to and get comforted by and they chatted for eight or nine months wow yeah before agreeing to meet but again this wasn't a teenager this was a grown-ass man and he was grooming her yeah so say this is taking over a long period of time this is so creepy and so thinking he was you know this teenage friend of hers that she hasn't ever met but they know each other so well she sneaks out to go meet him on New Year's Day. But... I get it. I totally get it. Oh, yeah. I, I I mean... I could not put this out of the realm of possibility of something I totally would have done. Yeah, and she's... I mean, she's in between our ages. This is 2002 and she's 13. So she was born in 88 or 89. Yeah. She's just a little bit younger than me. And yeah, no, I, I would have done that. And I know that's horrifying now as an adult yeah thinking back on how easy it is to make poor decisions that you don't realize are bad decisions and putting yeah, yourself at I mean, risk just thinking about things like craigslist meeting people oh, yeah. or missed connections and stuff that that was very much a thing when i was a, a teenager and like I mean, I remember when I was like 12, 13, like, yeah, sometimes I'd go into chat rooms, but also that was a little bit, you know, a couple years after this. So it was, you know, going to chat rooms with that, like, ooh, I'm being risky because this is like not good and bad, but also being 12 or 13 or 10 or 11 and not understanding why it's like, ooh, I'm not supposed to do this. I was in so many chat rooms like back when there was aol messenger and you could chat Mm -hmm. with your friends but then there was also all these different chat rooms it's so creepy looking back to think of who the hell was i talking to oh yeah so alicia is in this man's car and he was grabbing her hand so tightly that she thought her hand was broken And he was yelling these different commands at her. Things like, be good, be quiet. And if she didn't obey, he was going to put her in the trunk. So he speeds off down the street, drives past her house. And her head, she thinks, okay, maybe he'll just drive us around the block. And then maybe he'll just drive to the next neighborhood. She was, I mean, she was doing what she could. She was paying attention to street signs. And, you know, at first they were familiar streets, streets she knew. And then she started not knowing where she was. These were streets she'd never been to. She was getting further and further away from home. After a while in the car, 
um, they come to a toll booth. And in her mind, she starts thinking, okay, this is my chance. This is when I'm going to be rescued because, you know, this guy in the toll booth, he's going to see this crying child and think, like, what is going on? I'm going to call the police and this is going to be over. But guy in the toll booth, he didn't see her or think that anything was wrong. And so they continued on. Oh, God. He drove for about five hours from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to his home in Herndon, Virginia. And when the car finally stopped, he pulled her out of the car and dragged her into the house. He continued to drag her down a flight of stairs and got her into the basement. And in the basement, there was a door that had a padlock on it, and he took her inside. He then removed Alicia's clothing, and he looked at her and he told her, This is going to be really hard for you. It's okay. Cry. Oh, God. Which is terrifying. After that, he put a locking dog collar around her neck and dragged her upstairs to his bedroom and raped her. He chained her to the floor with this dog collar next to the bed, and she was raped and beaten and tortured in that house for four days. And Tyree was also filming the abuse. Oh my god. And he was broadcasting it online, live. It was a live stream online for others to watch, like on a secret porn site. That's so sick and disturbing and beyond messed up that my, just, there are no words to everything that's going on in my head right now. I I mean, he's live streaming raping this 13-year-old girl that he's kidnapped. And people are watching and enjoying it. And that's what's so disturbing about this, is people are watching it and enjoying it. Not only is he this fucked up monster, but all of these other people are participating in this. Yeah. Alicia said that she did what she could do to survive, no matter how humiliating or painful or disgusting because she felt she had no control over her fate. When she did fight back and she did fight him, he wound up breaking her nose. And she also thought to herself, he has already kidnapped a child and he's already done these unspeakable things to me. So why would murder be a far cry from it? Why would that be something he's not going to do next? Right. On her fourth day in captivity, he told her, I'm beginning to like you too much. Tonight, we're going to go for a ride. That sounds like she's going to be killed. Well, that was exactly her thought process. She knew in that moment, there is nothing she can do. He is going to kill her that night. And that day was also the first day he fed her. In in that four-day period? Yeah. And then he left for work. She started to accept her own death. She said she drifted into this dazed sort of state. But then all of a sudden she hears the sound of angry men banging on the door downstairs. What? And she was, she was like, they, they're here to kill me. He sent these men in to hunt me down and kill me. So she rolls underneath the bed to try and hide from them and stay as quiet as possible. And she hears them break into the house And they're moving around quickly. And she also hears them shout, clear, clear, clear. Oh my god, it's a SWAT team. She doesn't know that yet. That has got to be terrifying. 
think about it. You just hear people banging on the door and I don't know what SWAT teams yell, but all that commotion and she's already been through so much trauma. Yeah, I would have rolled under Mm -hmm. the bed too. Oh, yeah. And she is hiding there trying to stay as silent as possible so that these men don't kill her. But she must have made some noise because she hears one of them say, oh, we've got movement over here. And then she sees Boots come alongside of the bed. And one of the men orders her to crawl out from underneath the bed and put her hands up. And she remembers, you know, crawling out from under the bed and she's dragging this cold and heavy chain that he'd chained her to the floor with and trying to put her hands up. But also she's trying to cover herself because she's completely naked. Oh, my God. She's no clothing on. And when she gets out from under the bed, she's staring down the barrel of a gun. And she's just thinking to herself, this this is when I'm going to die. This is it. These are the men he sent in to hunt me down and shoot me. But then the man turns around and she sees the letters FBI on the back of his jacket. At that moment, all of the rest of the law enforcement officers rush into the room. They cut the chain from around her neck. They help her get up. And they gave her a second to, like, breathe. And she was free. I understand 100% why they went into the house the way they did. But the fact that she was, you know, told, like, get out from under the bed. And she gets out and she's staring at the barrel of the gun. That is only adding to all of this trauma that she has gone through. And I'm not saying that I know a better way of how that situation should have been handled. I I just know that added to this trauma that she is oh, yeah. she's experiencing and feeling and I know eventually there was the the relief, but it's like she was But just in that moment. She was like staring at her rescuers thinking that she was about to be shot because she's facing a gun. And it just there's gotta be a different way. Yeah. And I know that they didn't know who was gonna they didn't roll out from under the bed if it was going to be her if it was going to be him exactly and and that's but, why i'm yeah. saying like i know exactly why they did what they did that that was how mm-hmm. they were trained it makes sense but looking at it from her perspective or you know trying to look at it from her perspective oh my god i know like this this doesn't seem like the right kind of crisis intervention right and i don't know if that's the right word but yeah But Alicia described these men and women, her rescuers, as angels. Because they were. They rescued her. While she was being held captive, again, her kidnapper was broadcasting himself, raping her online. One of the viewers recognized the little girl in that video (gasps) as the little girl in one of the missing posters they'd seen. And so the viewer anonymously went to a phone box called the fbi wanted to be anonymous because they didn't want to be an accessory in the crime well and which they are they are i was gonna say the fact that they were on this website viewing this and enjoying this like thank god they had this moment of oh shit maybe i should report this except not completely because i'm not going to tell you who i am like i'm very fortunate to them that they did come forward but also stop watching that shit online what the fuck is wrong with you all of those people yeah because let's be real it's not like they this is some 
like regular porn site that you could be no. like, oh, well, it's acting. They're acting. This is like no, the very dark clearly web. it's not. Yeah, this sounds very much the dark web. But the viewer called the FBI and gave them the screen name th- uh, that the abuser was using. And through that screen name and the website, the FBI were able to find his IP address. And that led to the house. And that led to Alicia. And she described this as essentially it's one monster coming forward about another. Which mm-hmm. is exactly what it was. That that was exactly what we said in a few more words. But also she said she was so, so lucky. Because had those law enforcement officers stopped for coffee or their card broken down, she'd probably be dead. Because he was due to arrive back at the house at 4.30 in the afternoon. And law enforcement officers got there at 4.10. Oh my god. Tyree was arrested at his workplace uh, in Herndon, Virginia. After she was rescued, Alicia was examined at a hospital and was released to Child Protective Services as um, for custody. Initially, her parents weren't able to take a commercial flight to reunite with their daughter because of the media attention. I mean, this this was a case that was all over the news. All and I, I'm assuming at this point the news is broadcasting how she was found. So they're getting hounded. They're not able to make it to the airport and take a regular flight right. to D.C. So the FBI privately flew them to Virginia the next day. And she was finally reunited with her family. In the aftermath of all of this, Alicia suffers from PTSD. And she also has some pretty significant memory loss. A lot of her life leading up to the abduction is really difficult or impossible for her to remember. So her 13 years of life before all of this. She uses counseling as a treatment method. And also as an adult now, she said that back in 2002, people found it impossible to understand how this could have happened. So while some people were supportive of her, a lot of people blamed her. What? And blamed the victim. Yeah, because she was this 13-year-old who met someone online. She should have known better, which is so fucked up. It is. It is. It's like, even if the opportunity to know better is out there, that still doesn't mean you can blame the victim. No, and it doesn't matter if, if she was 13 or 33. No, it doesn't. This is the only person at fault here is Tyree. I know. Don't blame the victim. Don't blame someone who was tricked. And this is definitely different. But think about online dating today and how easily you could fall into this same trap. Mm -hmm. You're going to blame someone for that? Oh, yeah, because there is never any reason to blame the victim. So in September of 2003... Tyree was sentenced to 19 years and seven months in federal prison. That's it. Oh, there's there's more. Oh my god, no. Okay, okay, okay. He was released from prison in February of 2019, and he was assigned to a halfway house in Pittsburgh, where Alicia and her family live. Why would they do that? I have no fucking idea. There were big protests against... This being his location of where they placed him. Yeah. And 
it eventually went all the way up to Congress in what wound up being an unsuccessful effort to pressure the FBI to move him further away from the family. Is that not common fucking sense? Right? Because I'm like, you know, maybe he was in prison in Pennsylvania because that's where the kidnapping happened. Right. I mean, it's he was in federal prison, so sure, let's say it's still in Pennsylvania. Um, are you telling me they only have one halfway house and it's in Pittsburgh? There's not also one in Philadelphia or Harrisburg or anywhere else. Also, it's federal, so can he not go to a halfway house in a different state? Why does he have to be 20 minutes away from the young woman he kidnapped and raped and held hostage? Exactly. I Whoever made that decision i don't even i don't even know what was going through their mind eight months after he was released though in august of 2019 tyree was returned to prison for an additional two years for violating his parole and currently he is incarcerated in the federal correctional institution in elkton ohio oh so they can send him to a prison in another state well i mean you think about like the federal prison system, they can send people anywhere. anywhere. I mean, like, and they do. FTC transfer is Oklahoma City. They do. Which, send fun fact, anywhere. yeah, the Oklahoma City airport is um, the main FTC transit hub. Yeah, that I, you've told me that before. And thankfully, I don't go to that airport anymore. Well, they use a completely different runway and a completely different building. Like, there is a, um, it's not technically a prison, but it's cell, a building full of cells for prisoners awaiting transfer that is right off of one of the runways yeah. that the FBI jets, I guess, will fly the prisoners in and just taxi right up to the building. I know. I know I'm not going to be sharing a plane with one of these people, but... That doesn't mean I'm comfortable, like, knowing they're there. It's one of those things. Ignorance is bliss. I'd rather not know that that's going on. I mean, I guess that's fair, being like, oh, yeah, there's a big prison a half mile away in town. Like, you still like, hmm, that's a thought. Although, I say that, and just side note, the whole idea of ignorance is bliss is extremely problematic. So, I don't really mean that. But I, I was trying to make a point. Like, I... Glad I'm not flying there, but I'm glad you're very protected when you are flying there. Nobody be afraid to go to that airport. OKC is great. It's literally is it... the middle of the freaking country. Like, of course, that's where the <laughs> transit is. Yeah. And it's not a main, main airport like Dallas. Exactly. That would be different. It is a small airport. It's just weird knowing that I've been there without realizing that that was taking place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I only learned all of that in, I feel like I may have like Wikipedia whole found it years ago, but from reading the Orange is the New Black book. Oh, you read the book? Memoir. That's the Was word. it good? Yeah. It's very much, um, it wouldn't surprise me if there are currently like criminology classes that use it as a textbook. It's really good. Interesting. Not as a textbook, but like as... Like reading material. Yeah. So one year after Alicia's abduction, when she's 14, she founded the Alicia Project. The Alicia Project is an advocacy group that raises awareness 
and provides education on topics such as internet safety for children, the prevalence of online child predators, and abductions. Alicia has shared her story at numerous different schools and conferences, even though she's fully acknowledged that, yeah, talking about it can be triggering a lot of times. In 2007, she testified before the House Judiciary Committee in an effort to raise awareness on how important internet laws to protect children are, and she successfully lobbied for the passage of the Protect Our Children Act in 2008, and has been lobbying for the passage of Alicia's Law in state legislatures. And Alicia's law, it provides specific funding for states to create an Internet Crimes Against Children task force. So basically like a SWAT team, but specifically for crimes against children on the Internet. So, like, they would be able to handle the situations of the rescue better than the SWAT team did? Yeah, but not only that but also be able to investigate these things. Yes. Maybe in future cases, if something like this happened, they wouldn't need a viewer to come forward I mean, and find her. Yeah. Best case scenario is you don't need someone to come. I mean, let me let me phrase this the way I'm trying to think it in my head. Obviously, we hope someone's going to come forward, but you can't like put a stake in that and hope that it's, that it's going to happen every time. Yeah. So you should have another option. And that's the preferable yeah. option because, you know, people are hard to trust. We're all hard to trust. And I know that's a tough reality, but it it's true. Yeah. And this money from Alicia's Law, it's used for training, task forces, research, and rescue efforts for law enforcement agencies that are seeking child sexual exploitation victims. And to date, Alicia's law has been passed in 11 states, and Alicia is currently still advocating for its passage in all 50 states. Today, she is a motivational speaker, she is an advocate, and she is just an incredible, amazingly strong survivor. Wow. Alicia has taken this horrific thing that happened to her, and turned it into an opportunity to help others, which is Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And I know in a lot of our survivor cases, we see that survivors do that, that they feel this calling because of their experience to try to help prevent it for others or for others that similar situations have happened to, to let them know that they have resources and where they can go for help. Yeah. Well, and I think Alicia is so strong and I in a lot of different ways. Like, she founded the Alicia Project when she was 14. Whoa. And when she was testifying before the House Judiciary Committee, she was 18. Wow. I don't know why I was thinking she was older. Uh, Like, when I was going through it, even though, like, in my research and notes, it had her age, I was expecting she is, you know, in her mid to late 20s, talking to these schools about her experience. No, she was going to high schools, talking to people her age. She was 15, 14, 16, going to schools being like, this happened to me. I literally could be your best friend, your sibling, you. Like, she was telling them about this internet safety and raising awareness for what kids could do 
as an actual kid their age who'd been a victim of this. That is so insanely powerful because as kids, we listen to adults and these presenters and I remember these types of things and being a part of presentations and speakers and while it's very impactful, it's very different the idea of someone your own age being up there. That yeah. That adds that fear and the well, and, and awareness. The reality. Yes, that's the right word. It adds the reality that holy shit, this could happen to anyone. Yeah, and I think Alicia recognizing that and stepping up and saying, I can be the voice that my peers need to hear because, I mean, I know for me, like, the school assemblies and stuff about, like, don't do drugs, I mean, it it would be shit like these failed, not even pro wrestlers being like, don't do drugs, watch me rip a phone book in half. And I'm like, this doesn't speak to me at all. No. Like, I, I, what are y'all doing? What are y'all talking about that is actually going to make me give a shit? But someone like Alicia coming in, granted, I mean, very different. Don't do drugs. Dare to be drug free is very different from what Alicia went through and what she spoke about in schools. But I mean... I I cannot imagine just how impactful, how powerful it would have been to see someone who is my age, who had survived something like this, and then had the strength to come to my school and tell me. Yeah. No, but the strength that she had to do all of these things in the after is so admirable. Well, thank you, everyone, all our listeners, for being a part of this blood and wine journey with us. We're really looking forward to the last two episodes that we have coming to you guys. And they're going to be strong. They're going to be blood and wine to the core. And again, you guys, we couldn't do this without you. I Words cannot express the emotions that we feel and the love mm-hmm. that we feel for you guys. And so if it feels bumpy and awkward, it's because... There's no words. It's because we're bumpy and awkward. (laughs) But I don't know about the skin on my face. No, but seriously, y'all. When we say we couldn't have done this without you, I mean, we really couldn't. And not only does that mean, like, actually creating this podcast and stuff, but what it's become. Yeah. Going from, you know, Brittany and I sitting around an iPad basically just talking to each other about like these cases to this community of people that have brought together this group of friends that we've all become yes um that we share this same passion for justice for providing a voice to the victims of all these crimes and yeah again i I feel like it's just repeating ourselves that, again, bumpy and awkward, but we couldn't have done this without y'all, and we cannot thank y'all enough. You guys are blood and wine. This is the blood and wine family, and we love each and every one of you so much. Yes, we do. And with that, this is Blood and Wine, signing off. XOXO. See you guys in a couple weeks. Bye, you guys.
ביי!